Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to go over some Bengals headlines. We're going to give out some awards for the 2022 season. We're going to have a discussion of the draft picks, the free agents, and the undrafted free agents and their contributions this season. And we're also going to welcome in special guest and old friend Evan McPhillips from at Bengals Stats, and he's going to go over some significant stats from the Bengals 2022 season. What's up, guys? This is Evan McPherson, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce... Frank LaPlaca. It's going to be a while until we have some relevant Bengal games. Five months until the first contact against another opponent for preseason games. Six months until we actually have some relevant games that count. But we have a lot to occupy us prior to then. I mean, if you think about it, you have free agency coming up. The draft, that's huge. The schedule release is always exciting. Mini camp, then OTAs, then training camp, and all the news that comes out of that, and all... You know, the wonder about the roster, who's going to make the team. Then we go into preseason games, the final roster, which is always my favorite part of the preseason. And then it's showtime again. All right, so let's go over some Bengals headlines. So first, Mr. Tobin had his press conference at the end of the year, and he talked about a lot of interesting things. I think that was the most interesting press conference of all the coaches, all the front office personnel. And, you know, he mentioned Joe Burrow, that they're going to do whatever it takes to re-sign him. So although Joe is going to get a record deal, it is so well-deserved. He changed this franchise. Give him what he wants. You know, 50-plus million, 60-plus million. I don't care. I know I sound crazy. 
but you know he changed everything. And with him aboard, we're always going to have a shot at the Super Bowl. So whatever price he wants, whatever he wants guaranteed, anything in that contract, you know, throw away any misconceptions of we don't want to give anybody too much and cripple the roster. Just give this guy what he wants, and we will get that Super Bowl ring. And Mr. Tobin is on board with that. They're going to iron out something before the season starts, and we're going to have Joe Burrow for another decade plus, I hope. Then there was the big T. Higgins trade rumors, controversy, whatever you want to call it. And I just love the way that Mr. Tobin said, he's our guy. Go get your own receiver. So put aside any worries that you have that T. Higgins is going anywhere. Because, I mean, Jamar Chase is our number one receiver and the biggest threat. But T. Higgins can control the game. Think about what he did in the Super Bowl. Two touchdowns, 100-plus yards. I mean, if there was a Super Bowl MVP and they didn't give it to Burrow, Higgins was going to get it. So he plays well in big games. He can take over a game. He can contribute to wins just as much as Chase can. So let's keep these two guys around. And you know Mr. Brown has a liking for Tyler Boyd. So, you know, we keep Burrow and these three guys and build the rest of the team around him. We're going to be just fine. And Mr. Tobin wouldn't be committed on Joe Mixon. So I don't know what's going to happen with with Joe. You know, he's had a great career for us. And this year, I guess statistically, it was a little bit of a down year. But he's another one that can control a game as well. And he does pretty much everything well as a running back. But, you know, the salary... This is what happens when you're a good team and you have your young players that have played to a Pro Bowl level and are now due for their second deal. Sometimes some of the old veterans that you love might not come back, like your Mixons, your your Jesse Bates, you know, who knows who else, maybe even Jermaine Pratt. We're going to talk about the roster and free agency in another episode, but Mr. Tobin did leave the door open to possibly cut Joe Mixon. So we'll see what happens there, and, you know, that's that's a developing story as it comes. And then he also mentioned with Drew Christman that we're going to be in the market for another punter for some competition. And I think a lot of that comes from the AFC Championship game where he had that low punt at the end, which resulted in a big return, which resulted in ultimately setting up the game-winning field goal. I think Christman has a big leg, and he made some really clutch punts throughout the season and in the playoffs. But again, the hang time was an issue. I think that's something that he can improve, but he's going to have to prove it in training camp because they're probably going to bring in someone to compete with him. And that's just fine with me. We re-signed Cal Adamitis to a contract, so they were very happy with his performance this year. And it wasn't perfect, and it wasn't Clark Harris, but, you know, he didn't have any unplayable snaps. A couple snaps that were a little off, but he's a rookie, he's learning, he was the best long snapper in the country, and he had a pretty decent rookie year. So they're going to keep him around and grow with him, and hopefully we have another Clark Harris on our hands. And Clark, I just want to say goodbye to you. You know, a New Jersey guy, a Rutgers guy, a Jersey Shore guy, all three things that... I am and near and dear to me and he was a great player for us never messed up a snap in his career as a Bengal I don't want to make this a a Clark Harris memoriam but that's the way it goes it doesn't matter still one of my favorite Bengals of all time and I hope that he plays for someone else and if not retires and goes fishing in the ocean down by the Jersey Shore down in LBI the most beautiful beach in New Jersey and one of the most beautiful beaches on the East Coast Other news, I wanted to bring this up, and Coach Pollock is a great offensive line coach, and I I hate to do this. Like, when I'm going to criticize someone, I don't want to have to compliment them before I criticize them. I love all of our guys. You know, in the AFC Championship review episode, I really got on Joseph Asai, and I really got on Akeem Adeniji, and a lot of people were a little rattled by that. You know, I understand. You don't want to hear me talk bad about our guys, nor do I want to. Just remember, if they're a Bengal, I love them. But that that doesn't mean that I can't be fair in my analysis of them and I have to just present everything rose-colored. 
So as far as Coach Pollock goes, I think he's making a mistake with Jackson Carmen. And I think he's made a mistake with Adenergy and Carmen in the past. And let me explain on this. You're taking guys out of their natural position. We saw Adenergy be really bad at guard. And I mean, ultimately, not that good at tackle, unfortunately. But you took him away from his natural position. Jackson Carmen, a disaster rookie year. You know, we're thinking about waving him at at one point. Why? Because he was a left tackle in college, and we put him in as a right guard and tried to force him in there. And I think that philosophy has to change. You know, you have your guys on the line, but if if you're going to be bullheaded about it and say, well, everyone needs to be able to play either side and everywhere, I understand you want to have versatile guys. But there's some guys that are more capable of doing that than other guys. So to take Jackson Carmen and force him in at a guard position, and now they're talking about moving him to right tackle, He has not done a good job at either of those positions. The only thing that he's excelled at was his natural position of left tackle that he played in college and protecting Trevor Lawrence's blindside. And again, he played well for us. They had him graded as the highest blocker in in the playoffs for the Cincinnati Bengals. It seemed like Jackson Carmen had arrived. Now, we're committed to Jonah Williams at left tackle. You know, the jury's still out on that. And I know Lyle Collins might not be healthy for the start of the season, and we have mysteries. So you want to plug in your best five guys. I understand that. But I think that we should have a competition at left tackle between Jonah and Jackson Carmen and see who wins and try to find another right tackle in addition to Lyle Collins. It looks like the interior of the line is set. The tackles are a question mark. Jonah's up and down. Jackson Carmen played well, but he's an unknown commodity. Lyle Collins had an injury-ridden season. So I think the key is we draft or sign another tackle and let that all play out rather than force Carmen to play a position that he's not totally comfortable with and therefore may not excel the same way that he did at left tackle. I hope he continues to play like he did in the stretch. And if he can be the left tackle that he was in the playoffs, it's going to save this this franchise a lot of money. And of course, I can't go an episode without talking about Joe Burrow a little bit. The one thing I want to say, there's three stats. When I listen to the guys on New York radio and they're talking about signing Derek Carr for the Jets, and I know I'm getting a little off topic here, but they talk about the yards that he's thrown for. And he has thrown for a lot of yards over his career. But remember, if you're playing from behind in games, you can stockpile yardage. Yardage is not the most important quarterback stat. I think the three most important stats are completion percentage, yards per attempt, and touchdown to interception ratio. If you think about those three things, that's what makes, statistically, that's what makes a quarterback great. Now, we know it's more intangibles than that. It's leadership, it's ball placement, it's reading defenses, it's pre-snap adjustments. Those are also huge things. But if you want to talk about stats, it's not about yards. It's about the three things that I mentioned. And with that said, I want to say that Joe Burrow is the all-time completion percentage leader in NFL history. So as we all know, we have a great one on our hands. And congratulations, Joe. Loving what you're doing, my man. And then there was an article on Bengals.com that talked about Joe Burrow pre-draft. And there was a great quote by Mr. Tobin, and it was, I think we all felt he was the best player, and I think he felt like he was the best player. There it is, and it turned out to be true. We were confident in him, he was confident in himself, and we have a franchise Super Bowl-level quarterback on the Cincinnati Bengals. Probably the first one since Boomer Esiason. And during those meetings, Mr. Brown was in the room, and he rarely appears in the room, so he even knew the magnitude of Joe Burrow and this player. And everyone was on target with their opinions on Joe Burrow, except people that criticized him, because he has just turned into you know, a top one or two quarterback in the league. And during Joe Burrow's pre-draft interview, they asked him about a specific play that was actually an incompletion. 
and he remembered the actual play, and he went through his whole mindset and his just the way that he broke down a play, a random incompletion that he a remembered it and b broke it down in so much detail. He's talking about the safeties and what the linebacker did and his pre-snap read and what he decided and why what he decided didn't work. You know, when you go on a job interview, they ask you what your biggest weaknesses are, or they ask you to explain something that you've done that didn't work out. And this was a classic case of that, and Joe Burrow handled it in textbook fashion, something for, that all of us can actually learn from. And the last headline was Coach Taylor's interview. And honestly, again, I have to compliment guys before I insult him. And I'm not insulting him, but I just, his press conferences put me to sleep. And I'm like, I see Coach Taylor's press conference and I'm all excited to listen to it. And as I'm listening to it, I'm like, you know what? You're, you're such a great coach and such a great offensive mind. And you have helped change this organization but I'm having a hard time listening to you, my friend. No disrespect. But um, one thing that he did say is they'll have to carry me out of the building, which I loved. Which, you know, it's it's the excitement of turning a franchise around and just how good this team is and how good the city has been to him. He never wants to leave. And at this point, I never want him to leave either. All right, so without further ado, let's get to some Bengals awards from the 2023 season courtesy of the unofficial Bengals podcast. All right, offensive MVP, Joe Burrow. I mean, what more can I say about him? The best quarterback in the league, took us to the Super Bowl in his second year, took us to the AFC Championship game, and played well enough to win in his third year. I just can't imagine what the future is going to bring with Joe Burrow as a Cincinnati Bengal. So obviously, the MVP. Without Joe Burrow in there, who knows if we're going to be a 500 team or slightly above or worse with Joe Burrow in there, 11 wins, 12 wins, 13 wins. So that is our MVP. Runner-up offensive MVP, you have to give it to Jamar Chase. You know, and him and Higgins both had great games, and Higgins would be the third alternative for MVP. And they've both proven that they can take over games, but Jamar Chase is the biggest threat. He's the one that defenses worry about the most aside from Joe Burrow, and he's one that can crack a game open at any time. Think about what he did with the Saints just on a regular basis, just consistently scoring touchdowns, consistently beating double coverage, putting up large reception numbers, large yardage numbers, and just being a game-breaker whenever he had the opportunity. Defensive MVP, there was a lot of great play on the defense, and it was hard to pick the top two or three guys, but DJ Reader, you have to think about stopping the run game, and you don't see him on the stat sheet, and that's why I hate stats so much. Even though I'm bringing in a statistical expert on this show, And I respect everything he says, and he's going to say some great things that are eye-opening. But it's not about stats. It's not about how many sacks did he get as as an interior defensive lineman, how many tackles did he get. It's the impact that he has on a play-to-play basis. He occupies two to three guys all the time. He beats two to three guys all the time. He has stifled other teams' running games single-handedly. He enables his outside guys to get sacks and put up big plays because he clogs up the middle. This defense is not the same defense without DJ Reader, and therefore he's our defensive MVP. Runner-up, Logan Wilson. He can do it all. The range that he shows, he's become a hard hitter. Obviously, interceptions, turnovers, covering guys, helping in the run game. Just a a three-down linebacker that has excelled. He had over 100-some-odd tackles, led the team in tackles again. A great addition to this team, and when you have a third-rounder that hits like that, it's huge. So he is our runner-up for defensive MVP. An honorable mention goes to B.J. Hill, the partner to D.J. Reader in, in shutting down run games. He got a lot of pressure himself when he was single-blocked, 
and he was a disruptor in there. And again, we went back and forth whether it was going to be signing him or Ogunjobi, and B.J. Hill turned out to be the right choice there, and he is our alternate for defensive MVP. Special teams MVP, I mean, Evan McPherson is is a superstar for us and will continue to make big kicks his entire career, but I'm actually going to give it to Stanley Morgan because he is so disruptive in the coverage game, and as a gunner, he just makes play after play. You know, when other teams are, are getting nowhere on punt returns, you look you look up and there's Stanley Morgan making the tackle. Just a big impact player. Again, you don't see the stats. It's It's not a position that you get a lot of glory or notice for. But if you watch Stanley Morgan on a snap-to-snap basis on special teams, you will realize he was the best player from our roster this year. Honorable mention goes to Mike Thomas for special teams MVP. He's the alternate. And again, he was the captain of special teams, a veteran presence, and he was in there on a whole bunch of tackles and occupying blockers while other guys made tackles. So a great season out of Mike Thomas, and I'm hoping that they bring him back. Coaching MVP? Coach Anarumo, who else could it be? Those halftime adjustments, the big streak of not letting up a touchdown in the second half, scheming things up in a way where other teams just didn't know what to do with this guy, winning games for us with that second half defense, getting the most out of the players. Think about every level, defensive line, linebackers, secondary, the young players. He just got everything out of everyone. They love playing for him, and the way he schemes things up is top of the league and that's why one of the reasons why we've gone so far the last couple years and enjoy him while you can because he is going to get that head coaching job and it's well deserved but we have another season with him so good things are going to happen and he is our coaching MVP runner up for coaching MVP coach Taylor how can you not he has this team so unified they play for each other there's no divas there's no problems he's scheming things offensively I mean you can argue that he's the coaching MVP and I would be happy either way, but we have a head coach now that is helping this team excel. And if you think about Burrow, Chase, Higgins, Coach Taylor, maybe even if Coach Anarumo hangs around, that's a nucleus that will keep us competitive and competing for a Super Bowl every year. Rookie of the year, Cam Taylor Britt. How can you give it to anyone else? He came in halfway through the season he had a core injury early, and we're wondering, oh, is this a second-round bust? Is this a guy who's not going to get on the field? He's hurt already. Core injury, how long is that going to take to heal? And what does he do? He just comes in and plays basically shutdown corner. Of course, you're going to let up a couple touchdowns, a couple big plays as a corner. Everyone will. Jalen Ramsey, Jair Alexander, whoever we want to talk about, they're all going to let up big plays. But Cam Taylor Britt, as a rookie, just came in and, for the most part, shut down whoever he was covering. He had that big hustle play on Derrick Henry where he slaps the ball out as Henry's about to cross the goal line. He's hitting hard. He's playing aggressive. He's playing confidently. We have ourselves a star corner in the making here, and I'm so glad we got it in the second round. It's hard to do that. Alternate Rookie of the Year, we got to give it to Cordell Volson. I know he had some struggles. You know, He let up some pressures, let up some sacks, but he was healthy all year. You saw him improve from game to game. He's a force in the running game. He's going to get better in the passing game and with leverage and with, you know, getting lower on people, all that stuff you can see improving. But for a fourth rounder to have a guard that you can probably plug in for the next five years or so, I think that's a great draft pick and an alternate for Bengals Rookie of the Year. Best free agent, Ted Karras. You want to think about Kappa and Hurst, and they're all in the mix, but Karras was a leader on that offensive line played all the games, very rarely let up bad plays, had very few penalties, 
made good reads as a center, just brought in that veteran winning presence, and so happy to have him in the center of your offensive line, an offensive line that's up and down. You have a solid rock there, and he is our best free agent MVP. Runner-up is going to be Alex Kappa. He had another incredible season. So with Karras and Kappa, they both stay healthy. We're pretty much set at, the, at those spots for a couple years. And if he was there in the AFC Championship game, I know what if, what if, what if. But he would have done a better job on Frank Clark, you know, than, than Max Sharping did. And that game could have went a lot differently. But, you know, those are the breaks. Everyone has injuries. But Alex Kappa, great season, great guy. Another guy who's a leader by example and the runner-up for best free agent. Honorable mention to Hayden Hurst as well, but it shows that if you give Joe Burrow a receiving threat at tight end, the offense is going to be even more dangerous. And Hurst was a perfect example of that. He rejuvenated his career in Cincinnati. He got to go to an AFC championship game after not really getting near that in his first few years in the league. And, you know, there's talk he might sign with the Browns. There's talk he might go elsewhere, and he probably will. We're probably going to draft a replacement for him, but a good year by Hayden Hurst as well. And then breakout veteran player. There's two that come into mind. One is Samaj P. Ryan. If you think about it, the way he played when Mixon was out, we didn't miss Mixon that much. And I think the play of P. Ryan let the organization know that maybe we can move on from Mixon and, and go with P. Ryan and Chris Evans and maybe draft someone. I don't know where the organization's going to go. That's just my speculation. But he had a great year doing it all, running through a brick wall, receiving game, blocking on pass plays, third down especially, and special teams. I mean, you got a guy who just does anything you ask, and he does it well. And he's our breakout veteran MVP. Runner-up is Trenton Irwin. You know, an undrafted free agent, always kind of at the bottom of the wide receiver list. He showed you, you give me an opportunity, and I will make plays. And that's exactly what he did. Remember, he had that long post pattern for a touchdown, a couple touchdowns this year, some big first down catches, showed toughness, showed route running, showed great hands, showed Joe Burrow that, hey, you know, after the big three, you can totally rely on me to make plays. And that's exactly what he did. When Chase was down, when Higgins was down, you got a chance to see Irwin get some more snaps, and he did not disappoint. So looking forward to Trenton Irwin's career unfolding and hoping that it's here in Cincinnati. All right, let's quickly go over the draft picks from last year. Dax Hill, a little bit of a disappointing rookie season. It's almost like they didn't know what to do with him. They were, I think we're going to groom him to be Jesse Bates' replacement, but I don't think we did a good enough job of getting him enough playing time and putting him in that role last year. He was kind of a situational player, a backup slot when we needed it, but overall a slightly underwhelming rookie season. Still has all the physical ability in the world and the mindset and the attitude, so let's hope that he makes a big jump in year two and becomes worthy of that first-round pick. And, you know, if Jesse Bates goes elsewhere, we're going to need Dax Hill to step up or else we're going to have to sign a veteran for a lot more money. Second round, Cam Taylor-Britt. We talked about him already. Great rookie season. Really looking forward to the future. Zach Carter was another one who I felt got better as the season went by. Now, he's got a lot of guys in front of him with Reeder, Hill, Tupo. You know, whether they play the same one technique or three technique, I mean, they're still quite a few guys in front of him at the defensive tackle position, but he was versatile. He played some tackle. He played some end. He got better as the season went on. He had a lot of productive snaps, made a couple big plays. You know, third rounder, you get what you get there, but I think he's going to be a good rotational player for us, kind of in the camp sample mode for years to come, and you never know. If he gets his opportunity, 
And as his career goes on, he improves. He's well coached by Coach Hobby. You never know what the future is going to bring for Zach Carter, but I'm not disappointed with his rookie season. Cordell Volson, we talked about him already. There were some ups and downs, but that arrow is pointing up. And again, the durability and the size and the want to learn and play well, we got it all in a fourth rounder, so that could be a steal for us. Tyson Anderson, fifth rounder, we're going to see. When he was healthy, he barely saw the field, and then he got hurt and was put on IR, so kind of an incomplete grade for him. And we all know how fast and athletic that he is, so hopefully that contributes to being a rotational safety and a good special teams player in the future. So you can't give him a grade because we didn't see enough of him. Hopefully year two, he makes a big jump as well. And lastly, seventh rounder Jeffrey Gunter had a great preseason, and I thought we had a steal there. But again, a lot of guys in front of him, just like Zach Carter. So we didn't use him as much as we thought. He got in there for a few plays, had a couple pressures, contributed on special teams. But, you know, for a seventh rounder, you're not expecting a lot. And I think he excelled from that. Another player that... Hopefully the arrow's pointing up, and with more time, more experience, we'll have, we'll have a solid player there. So I think from this draft, you have your Britt and Volson, who are turning out to be starters for the future. And then you have Dax Hill, Zach Carter, Tyson Anderson, Jeffrey Gunter. Let's see how the future develops for them. I hope that all of them work out, or at least I hope that one or two of them work out, and that's a great draft if so. All right, as far as undrafteds go, normally we have some big contributions. And aside from Cal Adamitis, who we talked about already, we didn't have a lot of contributions from the other guys. Alan George showed that he does belong in this league. And when there were some injuries, he came in and I thought he played well. We didn't get enough of a sample size from him. But I think that he's someone that's going to hang around the roster, you know, at the bottom of your corner depth chart and be someone that hopefully we can rely on in the future. And another one that goes in the Hill, Carter, Gunter mode of, you know, let's give him a little more time in the league and see what happens, but very encouraged by what we saw out of Alan George. All right, free agents. So you have Karras at the top of the list, Kappa next in line. Both of those guys played excellently and are going to be foundational pieces for this offensive line moving forward. Happy to have them. Great signings. Hayden Hurst we talked about as well. Whether we sign him or not, it did show that if you give Burrow that kind of weapon, it's just going to make this offense crazy dangerous. Lyle Collins did struggle a little bit early, but he got his act together, and I thought he was playing very well from the second half of the season on, which coincided with us playing really well as a team. So I don't know what's going to happen. There's talk that they're going to waive him. He's making a lot of money. It all depends who they're going to bring in behind him. I think we should just retain him for another year, let him get healthy. Unfortunately, we didn't get the superstar that we wanted there, but he's a great player and someone that I think that we need to keep in that room. And then the waiver wire free agents, Max Sharping was a second rounder for the Texans. He came in decently at the end of the year when Kappa went down and had a couple good games, a couple decent playoff games, but again, he was exposed in that AFC championship game. I think he might be a little too expensive to keep around as a backup, and they probably want to draft some guys and, as always, develop the younger guys. Jay Tufele was an excellent addition. One of those interior defensive linemen, we've had a few in the past that have worked out well for us that we picked up midseason, and he was an example of that. I think he played well in spot duty, proved himself in the rotation, and I think that's someone that we're going to bring back this year, and I'm all for it. And then Devin Asiasi turned into a great blocker. He had that, he, they didn't throw to him much, I don't know, maybe one or two receptions. He had this one play where he was really open downfield. It would have been a huge play, and he dropped it. So we know that Asiasi is more of a blocker, but he really excelled in that role. 
So with all the free agent tight ends, we don't know who we're going to bring back, but I think that's someone that you do bring back and make him your number three or number four, depending on who's in front of him. And, you know, you just kind of use him as an extra offensive lineman in there, and I think he did a great job in that role this season. All right, so that's it. We went over the awards. We talked about the draft picks, the undrafteds, the free agents. I was going to go into the player grades by position group, but it's a lot to go into in this episode. And as I said, I want to make these episodes short and sweet, right to the point, keep them exciting, keep them entertaining. So next episode, watch out for the player grades, because in addition to the final roster, that's one of my favorite things to do as well, is analyze the performance of the position groups and every guy on the roster. So stay tuned for that next episode. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome, from at Bengals Stats, Evan McPhillips. All right, I'm excited for our next guest. He's been a regular on the show over the last couple years, a statistics expert, a great guy. This is Evan McPhillips from at Bengals Stats. Evan, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Frank? All right, my friend, let's get right down to business. So before we go into any stats, what were your thoughts on the 22 Bengals and what you saw this season? Man, I, I think the, the biggest overall kind of point that you can take away from this season is obviously the, the ascension of the Joe Burrow, but also that the Bengals ascended along with him. And, you know, there's a little bit of interconnectivity between those two entities, but it's it's definitely, you see the, the tides rising for the Cincinnati Bengals. You see that that was not just a flash in the pan in that previous Super Bowl run in that last year. You see that they are here to stay and they are dangerous and they are some uh, a team that, no one in the AFC really wants to mess with on a uh, week-to-week basis. And uh, I think they've shown that by coming out and slugging it with the Kansas City Chiefs on multiple occasions, slugging it out with Buffalo, and now they've announced that they're here. and They're going to have everybody's kind of – they're going to have the target on their back this season, I would imagine. So I I think they're more than uh, ready and willing to rise to that occasion. So I'm excited to see that kind of continued ascension from all of these young guys, from Joe Burrow, from Jamar Chase, from T. Higgins, and all these guys on the defense too. But also the way that this coaching staff has kind of continued to grow together. I, I think there's a very special season on the horizon. Very well put. You're speaking my language totally. And, you know, the the Mahomes-Burrow thing is almost like the Tom Brady-Peyton Manning thing from years ago. So hopefully – It's the changing of the guard, and now it's our time to be on top for a while. So let's get right into the first stat. So what do you have for us? The first thing I want to illustrate using these stats is the Cincinnati Bengals are a new era, modern, pass-first team. And the stats I have are the Bengals passed over expectation 9% more than they were expected to last season. And on their early down that they had in short distances where it made sense to either run or pass, they had a 63.7 early down pass rate, which ranked second in the league only behind Kansas City and Pat Mahomes. So this illustrates that the Cincinnati Bengals really kind of developed. Remember in uh, Joe Burrow's rookie season and even through that Super Bowl run, how much they leaned on the run game. And then finally, I think it was after the loss to the 49ers where Zach Taylor said, I I probably should have put the ball in Joe Burrow's hands a little bit sooner. From then on, it seemed to be that it was his team and they understood that. And these stats really illustrate that they took that to heart this season, and that they now are one of those past-heaviest offenses in the leagues. And with a bevy of weapons like Chase, Higgins, Burrow throwing, you have Boyd, you can have any of these you know, bevy of tight ends that are coming out in the draft and that are out there in free agency. It's, it's all 
coming together to amplify what Joe Burrow can do and what this offense can be. And they're leaning right into that. And the reason that's also relevant is because when we're looking at what do you want to add in this upcoming draft or in free agency, what can be helpful? Obviously, Hurst did it very well for what was expected of him, exceeded expectations by all means. There's still another gear that they can get out of that tight end, especially with how good Joe Burrow is in that intermediate area. We know that Tyler Boyd is getting a little bit older. He's obviously a little bit more costly in terms of the uh, slot receivers and offers some uh, interesting cap relief potential uh, in this season or the next. And obviously they've made a point that they want to get faster and younger at receiver in a couple different areas and kind of been churning the roster on the back end to find that. So I think you'll see an emphasis really put on finding that tight end weapon that Joe Burrow can work with and finding maybe that third, fourth receiver that can put a little juice in this offense and create after the catch to help with some of the intermediate stuff, especially if defenses are playing cover two, trying to contain this explosive passing attack as best they can. Wow, excellent points, and I agree. Getting Joe Burrow a pass-catching tight end is a priority because we saw, even with Hayden Hurst last year, it made a big difference. And you do mention that the Chiefs and the Bengals were the top two in early down percentage, and they're both pass-heavy teams. And think about who two of the best teams in the league are. So that totally makes sense. Evan, what do you have for stat number two? Stat number two, I want to talk about this offensive line because there's a lot of uh, a lot of talk, and obviously there's a lot of uncertainty with Joe Bur- or I'm sorry, Jonah Williams going through what he's going through with his knees and Lyle Collins and his back and the ever seeming present injuries with him. But I do feel like it's important to note from week five on last season when they kind of made their shift from that wide zone team under center all the time to hey, we're going to run in shotgun, we're going to run man and gap and counter. They became first in rush efficiency from week five on. From weeks five through 17, they allowed pressure at the seventh lowest rate in the NFL. So when they were healthy and a cohesive unit, they were fine. Obviously, there were spots where either maybe Jonah struggled against Miles Garrett or Lyle Collins didn't look like he was 100% healthy. But as a whole, this unit was doing exactly what they needed to do, right? We've talked on previous shows in the months and years ago when we were talking about, gosh, if the Bengals could just acquire some decent offensive linemen and be average across the board then they're going to be in great shape. Well, they got that and then some with the seventh lowest pressure rate and the best rushing efficiency attack in that span. So that shows that this was a success, though injuries ultimately sank this offensive line. That's that's something that's difficult because it's difficult to ask any offensive line in the NFL to go three deep. I've also seen a lot of people clamoring for Jonah Williams needs to be cut or traded or gone. He's not good enough, and we need to cut Lyle Collins. Well, regardless of whether you think those guys should be starters or backups or what have you, Lyle Collins is on a cost-control contract where if he's not active on game day, he's not getting paid. For all intents and purposes, he is one of the best backup tackles you could have at a cost-control deal where you only pay him when he's active anyways. So that would be an exceptional guy to have as a backup tackle. So even if you want to go sign somebody, just keep him on the roster. Don't go start cutting will, you know, offensive linemen willy-nilly when you're talking about how essential depth is. And people look at like Mike McGlinchey and say, oh, that's the guy we should go pay 15 or $16 million to maybe. And if you're upset with what Jonah has looked like in the last couple of years as a league average tackle, I'm sorry to say that Mike McGlinchey is not going to be better. He's been protected largely in – 
using these play actions, these bootlegs, these quick passes, these this Shanahan offense that's done so well for him and played to his strengths in the run game. But when you look at true pass sets, which the Bengals do so much of, because they're constantly dropping back, it's a complete different offense. And on those true pass sets, he is significantly worse than Jota Williams. So he's a good lineman for a outside zone running team, but maybe not for what the Bengals want to do, where they'll be in shotgun dropping back so often. It's just... I wanted to point these stats out, not to say the offensive line is fine. Don't address any issues. You should still go sign a starting right tackle as a veteran, maybe a Kelvin Beecham or a Luminor from out there in Las Vegas. You definitely could try and get these cost control guys who might want to come and fight for a starting position and say, I can still start. I'll play with Joe Burrow and the Bengals. To just start saying that they should be replacing a bunch of these guys, Jonah's a league average tackle, and so many teams would overpay just to have him. I just wanted to at least pay lip service to to what the Bengals' offensive line was able to accomplish when they were healthy and a cohesive unit last season. Wow, Evan. I mean, that's why I have you on the show. You, you educate me as well. I didn't even realize that Collins was on that kind of cost-control deal, so that makes sense. You have to keep him around based on that. You know, we saw the offensive line, just from the layman's point of view, after the first few weeks, they did start to gel. I didn't realize that their numbers were that good from weeks 5 to 17. So, excellent eye-opening stats and I'm, I'm learning as you speak. What do you have for stat number three? Okay, so we talked a little bit about Joe Burrow and throwing to tight ends earlier and everything else, right? So we want to talk about, especially this season, how teams started to put a cap on the offense by trying to run all that cover too, right? When we look at how Joe Burrow performed in the short and intermediate area, especially forced into that position this season, he had a 90.0 PFF grade on short throws and a 92.7 on intermediate throws, so elite in both categories. He had 158 attempts to the intermediate area and 323 to the short area. What that means is the short area is that 0 to 10, and that intermediate is kind of that 10 to 20 range. And we saw a slight uptick there in attempts. He had 53 more total attempts, and he was peppering a lot more of the intermediate field, that 10 to 20 range, that area behind the linebackers, that cover two, cover three hole that you might find in the either the seam or along the sideline. That just goes to show, one, how excellent he is in the areas of the field that are clouded with defenders how precise he is and how important because of that it is to get weapons like a tight end like a slot receiver who can really separate and challenge the linebackers and the underneath coverage and slip in behind these linebackers on some of these play actions and these over routes and let Joe Burrow feather these throws in and layer these throws in over these defenders and really, for lack of a better phrase, let him cook. Let him play to his strengths and when you get that defense forced to come in and get into those tighter areas where they got to cheat up now because you've been hitting them with that tight end over the middle and you've been hitting them with that slot receiver coming underneath and if you have that running back who can hurt you out of the backfield a little bit more than maybe just catching the ball and fighting hard for two yards in front of you really threatening defenders making them miss that is all going to force that off that defense to creep up to put more bodies in the box which will only free up jamar chase and t higgins on the outside to let these playmakers get down the field and generate more explosive plays which is something that the bengals didn't necessarily have as many of this season because they had to 
by a characteristic of how the defense was playing them, take a lot more of the underneath stuff. So getting some of those running backs, tight ends, wide receivers that can really create after the catch and make the most of Joe Burrow's accuracy and precision will really lead to a lot more explosive plays and a lot more elusive offensive players that can generate more yards after the catch for this offense. Really well put, Evan. And, you know, those are some of the things that I've noticed about Joe Burrow. I mean, he's great throwing into tight windows, great accuracy, great ball placement. And what you said totally goes in line with it. And you're right. If the intermediate and short game continues to be this successful, teams are going to start loading up that area. And that will bring back the long passing game that we, we kind of missed from season one. Right, to speak to his uh, accuracy just a little bit more, because I feel like it's important to note how incredible he really is on that. Where you put the ball, PFF grades things, uh, grades these throws. There's, you know, accurate on frame behind the receiver, you know, the accurate plus throws. Joe Burrow, the reason that his accuracy is so special. So if you think about a wide receiver coming over the middle with a defender kind of trailing behind him in that position, If Joe Burrow puts that ball directly into the numbers of the receiver or slightly behind him, he might have to slow down, jump catch, or just kind of halt his momentum a little bit to where that trail defender can either make a play on the ball or at least tackle the the offensive player right where they make the catch bat. If you have a guy like Joe Burrow who reads leverage on defenders so well. He is his spatial awareness and recognition is incredible. He can read that leverage to say, I'm going to lead my receiver. And he has the ability, the processing to understand and execute that. And so he can lead his receivers to where the ball is out in front of them, where he wants it the timing he wants it, the pace he wants it, the trajectory he wants it, and it'll hit them right in the hands to where they don't have to slow down. They can run through that catch and get more yards after the catch. We see that when you have those accurate plus throws as they deem them, you can generate two to three yards more after the catch on average because of that ball placement. So it really does make a tangible difference, especially if they're going to be peppering the short and intermediate spot if teams really keep trying to challenge them by playing those cover two and cover four shells. You know, Evan, I can listen to you talk about this all day. and <laughs> Those are two of the things that, I, that, I, that goes along with what you're saying that I talk about Joe Burrow about. He doesn't throw his receivers into danger. You know, a lot of quarterbacks, they they do not have the same kind of ball placement, and they lead the receiver into big hits. So part of that placement and that spatial awareness is protecting your receivers as well. And there have been a lot of cases where it's more of a layman's term, but he throws a ball that's almost undroppable. You know, he, he, he like throws the receiver into a catch. And, you know, those are two kind of special things beyond the stats that I notice about him on a regular basis. So what do you have for stat number four? Okay, so for number four, uh, we're going to look at the defense, right? And obviously they've been performing extremely well with uh, with Lou Anarumo's direction and with a lot of solid veterans and a good bend-don't-break mentality, right? But obviously there's, there's one area particularly that I think a lot of people are looking for a little bit more, and that's the pass rush. So the Bengals ranked 21st among defenses this season in PFF team pass rushing grade. It, I think that just goes to illustrate that their defense was a top five unit in terms of EPA allowed. They were an exceptional defense last season, uh, particularly against the run. But it, it goes to show that the creativity of Louis Arumbo and as well as the outstanding, excellent 
efforts and coverage uh, by guys like Cam Taylor Britt, at times Eli Apple, that these guys were really stepping up and confusing the quarterbacks, making things difficult on them. And it, it just, it feels nitpicky to be like they had a, you know, top five, top six EPA per play allowed on defense. What more do you really want? If they come back and do that again, aren't you happy? Yes, but if you want to know what's going to take you over the top, what's going to help you beat those quarterbacks like Josh Allen, like Patrick Mahomes on a consistent basis, right? Not just a one-off game. We want to try and build sustained success here. You definitely need to generate more pressure, more pass rush. And part of that is adding depth to where you can keep a Trey Hendrickson and a Sam Hubbard healthy or Sam is just a much better run defender than he has been a pass rusher, but maybe that gives them more luxury to kick guys inside like Joseph Osai, like Sam Hubbard, like they do enjoy doing sometimes, and then getting other more talented pass rushers on the field. So obviously you saw a little bit of development from the younger guys last season, but just like with the offensive line, you don't want to go out and say we believe in the guys we have we're not going to make any adjustments or bring in any new talent you definitely rather have that surplus of talent especially at a premium position like that i would expect them to attack that position in the draft because when you look at how expensive this team is going to get in the coming years with a t Higgins extension with a jamar chase extension with a joe burrow extension you're going to need to get cheaper at these premium positions and as it so happens, Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard, their contracts kind of end in the next couple of years as do DJ readers. And I don't think that's an accident. Not to say that these guys are all going to be gone, but it gives them that flexibility, that financial flexibility that down the road, that surplus value can really help you. So there's a lot of good reasons to try and attack defensive end and bring a little bit of talent, a little bit of athleticism in, which if anyone's been paying attention to the combine, you've seen the the defensive line class has just been bonkers in their athletic testing. So it, it would be really surprising to me to see the Bengals not try and dip at that position in the draft, especially to try and get more juice, a deeper rotation and keep these guys fresh. Yeah, I do agree with that. And, you know, when you, when you talk about the draft and mock drafts and, you know, if you go over the last decade or so, obviously quarterbacks and corners are always going to be at the top of the draft. But the other guys are all the trenches guys, you know, your pass rushers, your left tackles, quality interior defensive linemen. So what you're saying is, is making total sense. And I do hope that we bring in, obviously, some linemen and definitely a, a nice young premier pass rusher that comes at a low price. That would be great as well. Uh, what do you have as far as the next step? Okay, so for number five, we talked a little bit about the running game and its efficacy earlier. I do not believe that despite Joe Mixon's good season, that it was necessarily because of him. And the stat I want to point to to point that out is his elusive rating, which is a measure of his missed tackles force, whether, you know, breaking tackles, forcing defenders to miss, destroying a tackling angle. His elusive rating was just a 31.3, which was second last among running backs with at least 175 carries. The same way that you look at Zeke and Tony Pollard, Zeke was the guy who ranked last. The same way you look at Zeke and Tony Pollard and you might think, wow, one guy is much more elusive and should definitely be getting more work. That's the way I, I see the Bengals' backfield and say... Joe Mixon is that Zeke. He's reliable. He will get you exactly what is blocked. And 
is tough because he's getting paid like one of the best backs in the NFL, but he is not producing like that. And the reason elusive rating is so important for running backs is because think about when a running back struggles, right? What do we say? Well, the offensive line is terrible or play calling is terrible. Why are you calling a run there? Why are you calling that run? Or why are you running this scheme? Okay, well, with that in mind, so for the running game to be successful and a running back to be able to succeed, he needs a good play caller, timely play calling, good blocking from all of his offensive linemen. So he's really, you know, fourth almost on kind of the list of things that have to happen before the run game can be successful. So what that kind of lends itself to is more you should invest your resources into buying your offensive line or just your draft capital into those offensive linemen because we know obviously running back is one of those replaceable positions where you can get these guys in the draft in the third and fourth round or the second round and you will be paying them literally like a 12th of what you would pay Joe Mixon and that matters again when you start talking about how do we keep this core together $10 million to your running back can be the difference of whether or not you can go sign that average or starting tackle that you believe in right now that you want to fill that hole with. It's it's tough. It is. But when you start looking at, okay, how does Mixon compare to the more elusive backs? Can 31.3 be that bad? Well, the median elusive rating of the five highest graded P, uh, PFF running backs in the last couple of years has been 82, 63, 73, 74, 67. So he has literally been half as elusive as some of the best backs out there. And to be being paid like one and also not producing like one is just, it's you cannot justify it. And I think that paired with Duke Tobin's comments about when he talked about T. Higgins, he was talking about how he's essential to the success of this team, should be a part of it going forward. He's under contract, so he's going to play with us. And that was not his tone with Mixon. He said, I don't know if he'll be on the team. I'm not sure. I can't predict the offseason. He didn't say Joe Mixon under, is under contract, even though he is. He didn't say he was the best part of their chance of being successful. And I think all of this goes to show that he just has not necessarily realized the potential that he had. And that's not to say that he hasn't been good at getting the yards blocked, but you don't pay a guy $8 million, $10 million to just get the yards that are blocked. There are many, many talented athletes coming out of college that can hit a hole or make a read and run forward and get what's blocked. If you're going to be paid like a top guy, you have to produce like a top guy. And when you look at Mixon's elusive rating by year, it's been 31.3, 44.2. 40 the best year of 61.5 and then 35.6 so outside of one year in his career he has never been this guy and it's it's time to stop paying for it and stop hoping and thank him for his service and uh, i think they're going to be looking in the draft heavily at some of this class to try and get cheaper and a little more athletic and a little more elusive there as well as maybe a guy who's a better pass catcher can do a little bit more with his hand with the ball in his hands after the fact yeah, I mean, running back is such a thankless position. You know, every, every time they, they carry the ball, it's like getting into a car accident. And, you know, they don't get paid as well as everyone else. And, you know, they're, they're easily replaceable. And when you get up there in years, you start to move on. I, I never realized that about his elusive rating. I do, I do think that he's going to graduate into a third down pass catching running back as his career progresses. But I think you're right. I don't think it's going to be in Cincinnati. And that's unfortunate because he's been a good part of this team. What is the next stat that you have for us, Evan? All right. 
right, so just an extra, little extra one we threw in here just because I want to pay uh, pay homage to Darren Simmons and the special teams a little bit because it does matter, and obviously it, it played a part in uh, the Kansas City game. PFF has been tracking punter stats since 2013, so about 10 years. And in that time of players with at least 20 punt attempts, only 20, Drew Crispin ranks dead last on a season in hang time with 3.85 seconds. Dead last over the last 10 seasons. So I thoroughly anticipate, again, with between the stats and reading between the lines with Darren Simmons and Zach Taylor's comments at the at the combine, that they will be pursuing a veteran punter, a word, a punter in the draft that they feel pretty certain about. Maybe even both, if that's something they feel they really need to do. Obviously, Darren Simmons has a lot of sway in that locker room. And if he thinks that, you know, I want to have a rookie, but I also don't want to put it all on him to start and go out there and trust him to do all that. I think that he will have the year of the front office and of Duke Tobin. And I think they'll respect that. So I just wanted to throw that out there to illustrate just how putrid the hang time was uh, for Drew Crispin last season. And that I would definitely expect that that's something the Bengals aggressively pursue, either via free agency or the draft. Yeah, you know, to the naked eye, I could tell that he wasn't getting enough hang time on the punts. We had the infamous punt in the AFC Championship game, which really hurt us. I didn't realize that he was dead last, you know, through over that many, over that long of a period of time and for that many players. So, yeah, I mean, without a doubt, you, you can't have that. And they're probably going to replace him based on what you're saying and that eye-opening stat that you brought to our attention. So, Evan, I know you've been up to some really cool stuff. You were at the Combine with Malik Wright, and, you know, you're starting to get your name out there even more and more, and it's very well-deserved. How can people find you on social media, and what have you been up to? Well, thank you, Frank. I really appreciate that. Um, I'm doing a lot of work with uh, Malik and uh, Daniel over there at the Right Way Sports Network. We've actually got a, uh, a live show that we've got called State of the Jungle that we're, uh, we're hitting real hard right now. There's going to be a lot of draft and free agency news, and we should have our uh, show coming up on Wednesday at 7 p.m. So you can find, uh, find the link to that show on Malik's uh, Twitter page as well as mine. And you can find me on Twitter at emicphil, where I will be dropping and a lot of Bengal stats and a lot of different content as we look more at free agency and at some of these draft prospects as we get a little more clarity now with the combine coming into picture and also looking at the Bengals' interest as that starts to come into play. Obviously, uh, Malik is pretty dialed in on a lot of that stuff. So Malik will have the players and where our, uh, where our eyes should be looking, and then I'll hopefully have some good stats to help you guys understand a little bit more about who these players are and what they can be and how they can help this Bengals' offense and defense. And speaking of Jair Alexander, I do an impression of his great interview. I'm not going to bore you with it. Maybe I'll drop it on YouTube one of these days. But my favorite part of that classic Jair Alexander interview is... Eddie Jones! <laughs> That'll do it for this episode. Next episode, we're going to go over the entire Bengals roster and give out some grades for the position groups, talk about all the players, we're going to review some headlines, and we're also going to welcome in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.